Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. You would join me in Romans chapter 12. We'll get there in just a few moments. I'm going to start by giving an illustration that, uh, and from, Matthew, from uh, Mark chapter 3, <clears throat> verse 35. Now I want to start by saying that I'm, I don't know for sure that what I'm about to say is true. It doesn't, it doesn't it's just my opinion. Uh, but I, I notice a significant, you know whenever a pastor says, I don't know if this is true, everybody's head pops up. Did you know that? <laughs> Note to self. Um, it seems to me there's a marked difference between how the uh, disciples lived prior to the resurrection and after the resurrection. I don't know what level of faith they had at each place. When Jesus said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men, I don't know, I don't think that they knew what exactly they were saying yes to. The thing that matters is that they said yes And it led to another step of obedience and then another step of obedience. And one thing I know for sure is after they experienced a risen Christ and they interacted with them, their personas begin to change. Their perceptions begin to change. The way their declarations begin to change. And certainly at the ascension, everything about the way they process life was different. They were ready to run away in the garden, but died as martyrs. And so we know that something significant happened. I'm not going to say, people say, well, you think that they were Christians before. If they died, they would have went to heaven. I, I don't know why that's always the question we ask. Here's my answer. Well, they didn't die, so it didn't, doesn't really matter. Uh, they didn't die until they were, and so that's, what, that's, what we're, that's where we're going to be. So uh, I say all of that to say this. When Jesus makes this statement to them, I don't know exactly if they understood its depth or not. But I know it doesn't change the gravity of Jesus' words. Now again, I'm not saying that they were or were not understanding God's kingdom. What I am saying is what their understanding is or was is much less what Jesus' statement meant or, or said. Mark 3.35 For whoever does the will of God... For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Now Jesus is making a very bold statement here at the very beginning of his ministry and not just to the apostles, to the disciples, but to all of the Jews listening. So this isn't just for them. It's not just for those who have already said yes. It's not even just for those who are Christians in the room, even those who are Jews in the room. This is a truth that spans belief. Whoever does my will, he is my family. And so, this is a good verse, I think, to launch a series of messages on the will of God. And Jesus is emphasizing here how obedience to God is the thing that opens the door into a relationship, to being a part of His family. It is obedience that opens the door for us to become his sons and his daughters and ultimately co-heirs of his kingdom. I don't know how much of that the early disciples knew, but I know that that culminates in a reality as we watch it lived out for the next three years of Jesus' life. I talk a lot about God's will, and, uh, and I've, I've noticed that talking about being in God's will or you know, uh, those things. But I have not, uh, I've not spent as much time talking about how to know God's will. 
And so over the next few weeks, uh, we're going to be talking about and sharing what the scriptures say about being able to know God's will. I think the thing about knowing God's will is we're looking for this huge picture of what God wants my life to look like, this big calling, this huge purpose, this very meaningful thing that we can say yes or no to once we know what it is. Um, but I'm hoping over the next few weeks to kind of break that down into manageable parts. I think most Christians aren't pursuing God's will. We're a little bit fearful of God's will because it might cause us to do or to think or to behave in a way that's not comfortable for us. And so what I want to do is to make it a little bit more uh, 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 palatable for us to be able to understand. And so... Uh, the, what I want to do to begin with today is just—it's going to be—I won't say just going to be because that kind of demeans it—but it's going to be introductory. So over the next few weeks, we'll be able to talk about some of these things without having to give definitions every time that we do. So if you take notes, uh, I'm going to give you a few, and uh, I don't really—I like note takers. I like it when you take notes, but just bear with me for a moment while I while I say this. The reason why I don't give like outlines or underlines is because we spend a whole lot of time saying, well, I didn't get number three. What was number three? Well, listen, it's more important that you hear me than it is that you get it, that you get it written down. I don't mind ever filling in the blanks later, but just make sure that we're not so quick to want to get our blanks filled in that we miss the whole point of us being here together, okay? So number one, <laughs> that's one of the reasons why I don't like ones and twos and A's and B's and C's is because we get lost in the outlines instead of the, instead of the message. But so what I want to do is to break God's will down. So this is, a, I think, a, a something that kind of gets in our way of understanding God's will is when we say God's will or we read God's will in the scriptures, we see this one big thing. But God's will doesn't work by one big thing. In English, it does. When you read God's will, every time you see it in English, God's will, God's will, God's will. But the original languages isn't written that way. So there are at least three types of God's will found in Scripture. And so I want to give those to you because when you're reading in the Scriptures, it's very important for us to know what type of God's will is this actually referring to. Does that make sense? Okay, so the first type of God's will is the word uh, decorative. Now, it doesn't mean that God's will, uh, that he adorns it with uh, pretty things. Uh, not decorative, decorative, which means that he has decreed certain things. It doesn't come from the word decorate, but decree, right? Uh, so it's important for us to know sometimes God's word, uh, will isn't necessarily decorative, <laughs> uh, but it's always decorative. <laughs> All right, anyway, whatever. Right. <laughs> so, so when God, so for instance, uh, when uh, God said, let there be light and there was light. There, there are no options but there to be light. So when God speaks, it is, you can't get in the way of it. Uh, another good verse for that is that God will open doors no man can shut and shut doors that no man can Open, that's right. So this is God's decorative will. What he declares will come to pass. We also, you may have heard it called his sovereign will, his providential will. These are where his secrets remain. God doesn't, we say, we say why did God create the heavens and the earth? Why did God make us. Why does God? Well, these are things that are far beyond our ability, right? So because they are a part of God's Sovereign will. He doesn't share his secrets with us. In fact, the one secret that he shares is that he doesn't share his secrets uh, with us. It doesn't, it's not meaningful for our life. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't speak anything into us. It's just what God, what God wills in to be will be. Sovereignty. Uh, if you want to, uh, Cameron Lane uses this a lot. Uh, I don't know if it's original with him or not, but sovereign is a, a good word to way to remember that is, is, uh, is over reign. And so when you see God's dominion, so when in creation and creative order and humanity, when God speaks, it will. So let it be said, so let it be written, so let it be done, period. Uh, it's very, very high lofty. Now, uh, the, uh, the, he, the Greek word for that is the word boule. Not bully. He's not a bully. 
but he, uh, the word is boule, which just means the counsel of God. When God gets together, the Godhead gets together to decide something. Period. Right? Okay, so the second type of God's will is his preceptive will. Now, not perspective or perceptive, but preceptive. The word comes from precepts, meaning truths uh, in, uh, in theologies, right? So precepts, it's kind of where we get the do's, and I hate reducing Scripture to this, but it's the do's and the do-nots. Uh, it's the precepts. It's how we are to live. We've also heard it called the revealed will of God, right? So this is, these are the, the, the scriptures, for instance, uh, the Ten Commandments. These are the preceptive will of God. He says to us, thou shalt not... I was anxious to see which one you said because there's a bunch of them. Uh, but thou shalt not steal, right? Let's just use that one. Thou shalt not steal. God has revealed to us what His precept of will is about stealing. Now, no doubt that that precept of will flows out of His sovereign will, but will God let you steal? Yeah, He will. Uh, you have the ability to steal, but not the right. Which means that if you do this, there are going to be consequences for disobedience. So in God's sovereign will, in His decorative will, you cannot get in the way. In God's revealed will, this is the difference between, and I know you don't care about it, but we're here. And so we need to make mention of the difference between Armenian, not Armenian, that's much different. Armenians are from Armenia. Armenians follow free will theology. Uh, we are Armenians versus Calvinistic theology, which does not believe in, in necessary, uh, necessarily in free will. So this is the biggest issue between these two, is when we speak to God's will, oftentimes we're talking about God's revealed will to us in His Scripture. But it's mistaken to be God's can't get in the way of it will, right? Decorative will of God. And so this is sometimes why there's a lot of argument in the body of Christ is because there's not a lot of, of real good understanding of the difference of the way God's will works. So within God's sovereign will is His revealed will to us. In His revealed will, we don't have to obey. He gives us freedoms and free wills to not necessarily obey Him. So, uh, but you are not free of the consequences of disobedience. So just because you're getting away with something today doesn't mean that we get away with it forever. Now, I'll say this too. There are two types of God's revealed will. Uh, or His, as, as we have said, His... Uh, uh, what is it? Where are we at? Second one? Yeah, we're in His preceptive will. Uh, so when you talk about God's preceptive will, there's two types. The first type is His efficacious will. That is the things that God declares that are effective to bring about His desires. So in fact, that's what the word uh, preceptive actually means is what's God's real desire in this. So when God declares or expects uh, in his will, efficacious means it works for him, for his will, for his glory. Uh, but then there's the other, which is God's permissive will, which means that he leaves it to us to decide if we're going to walk in it or not. Uh, and, and, and so that brings us to the third, oh well, that, that Greek word there is a, 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 a telmia, okay? So, uh, and this word simply means uh, that, that God allows us to, to choose him or not. For instance, um, in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, uh, we, we talk about this verse in acting justly and loving mercy and walking humbly. This is what God desires for us. Uh, and that word desire is in Greek the word uh, telema, uh, which means so. But is God forcing us to love justice and uh, to love mercy? 
to act justly. And he didn't force us to, but, he, but we know what he wants for us, right? It's pretty clear. If you don't do that, we also know what the consequences are. But that verse starts with, He has shown you, O man. So, not old man, old man, which simply says God has revealed to us what he wants. But Israel isn't walking in it. This is his preceptive will. Brings us to the third will of God, which is dispositional will. Dispositional will. It means where God acts upon in his emotion, his attitudes. Uh, the Greek word there is telo. It means whether or not God is going to find pleasure in something or not. Uh, the, the verse that's, that, that I'm reminded of here is 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. It says that it's not God's will that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance, right? So uh, uh, in the book of Ezekiel chapter 33, God says to his prophet to tell his people that he does not find joy in destroying people, especially even the wicked. He finds no joy in it. And so it's important for us to understand that while God has a will, and sometimes he finds pleasure in that will, God doesn't always get what he wants. God doesn't always get what he wants. Except in his boule will, where he always gets what he wants. So there's sort of a paradox. And I know there's a little tension in all of that, uh, but the scripture is very clear. And in one single message, we can't possibly parse all of that out. But over the next few weeks, we're going to look at what each of these mean uh, for our own individual obedience so that we can know God's will. Because my fear is, is that because we can't know God's will, we just settle for, I hope. I hope that I'm pleasing God. Are you right with the Lord? Well, I hope. Are you doing what God wants? Well, I don't know. I hope. How do you know? How can you really know? And so we don't walk in confidence. We don't walk in boldness. We don't walk in assurity. We don't walk in anything that the Bible says we have when we're in God's will, which tells me that we're just not very confident in God's will. And I'm afraid that many of us have given up and just get up in the morning and put one front, step in front of the other and make decisions based on what can I get away with? What's working for me? Where, where do I get some benefit? What works in my, um, for my advantage? Okay, so let's break all of that down very simply now, okay? So we're going to take those three and we're going to put them out in the compartments for our own personal lives. We have God's providential will. That's where his secrets remain. He doesn't owe us any of those. God's perceptive will. That is his revelation to us, those things that he wants that we can know. And then his personal will, how can I take that and apply it to my life? So now we're at Romans chapter 12. Could you start the clock over again? I'm just getting started. <laughs> just kidding. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. So I want to stop there for a moment and say that the very reason that Paul is even making this statement, these are not his personal statements. It is the mercy of God that God has put upon Paul to tell the church at Rome these things. So this would be then God's preceptive will because he is about to reveal to them God's will concerning things that they can know. But it's because God is revealing it, not because Paul is revealing it. These are not his opinions. They are by the mercies of God. So I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your what? Your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. So how are your bodies to be presented to the Lord? as a living sacrifice. Now we're not talking about death here, but we are talking about sacrifice. Sacrifice is where you were to take flesh and it were to be consumed. The flesh were to be burned, to be purified. That's the picture that Paul is painting for the Romans is that to present their bodies a purification process that would reduce the sinful flesh but that the, the part of our lives, the part of our bodies, the part of our flesh that is being glorified into the image of Christ could be more readily seen. It's by our behavior, by our actions, by the things that we do, the things that we listen to, the things that we see, the things that we say, the places that we go. 
These sorts of things. He's saying to, to this church at Rome that I beseech you, I beg you, I urge you by the very mercies of God that you're about to know this. Take your flesh and allow your bodies to live for the glory of Jesus Christ. Because at that time, they pretty much were believing that now that I'm a Christian, I have no control over my flesh. So I'm, I'm kind of living a duplicitous life where I am a Christian, but I can do whatever I want. Paul is saying, no, you can't. The way you live your life, the actions, the behaviors, these sorts of things are proof of what's going on in your life spiritually. You can't say, spiritually I'm this, but physically I'm this. He is saying, you've got to reconcile those two things because what you see is what really is going on. So, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So to present your bodies a living sacrifice is only possible through the Spirit. It is your spiritual worship to live holy. So many people try to live holy apart from the Spirit. In other words, trying to do better, make better decisions, turn over new leaves. We try to, but listen, what Paul is saying is in order to do better in the flesh and to make better decisions with my daily living, my flesh has no mechanism to do better. It only has the mechanism to say no a couple of times. Jesus actually used a very strange illustration of this. It's, it's kind of hard to, to figure out until you see its full context. He talks about a man. The, the parable is a man uh, has a demon in his house. He exercises the demon out. And he sweeps the house out. The demon runs away and is gone for a little while and brings back seven more demons with him. And the man's latter days are worse than his former days. Mean, meaning that well, he did great to get rid of the demon, but boy, it sure was terrible on the end. That the point of the parable is, is that when you get rid of things out of your life that do not belong, you better make sure that you fill the house with something else. Because as Christians especially, how many of you have ever done things that you knew weren't right and you said, I'm not going to ever do that again, and you did anyway? Anybody? Anybody ever said, it's me again, Lord? Well, here's why. Because we're making those spiritual decisions in the flesh, not in the spirit. And we don't replace the behavior. We, we, we're trying to do anger management without replacing forgiveness. Or love. We're trying to do, you know, anger management without replacing it with peace. And so it's really hard. All we can do is postpone it for a little while. But I'm telling you what, it's coming back. And when it comes back, it's coming back with a vengeance. It's the way, it's the, way the flesh works. Well, you, you can modify your behavior for a moment, but it's coming back if it's not your reasonable spiritual worship. If you're not, if you're not alive spiritually, if you've not be, been regenerated by the Holy Spirit here, you, you don't have much control over your flesh. You're, in fact, Paul says you're a slave to it. Okay, so the only way, so the, the proof that I love the Lord, the proof that I'm acceptable is by the way I live. So we live in a, in a generation today, boy, I sound older and older when I say that, I know, I don't mean, I don't mean to, uh, where we try our best to say, well, I'm a Christian and I, you know, what difference does it really make how I live my life? Don't, don't judge me. Don't tell me how I'm supposed to. It is so important the way we live, that we live according to... Jesus even says, how do we know that we love you, Jesus? And Jesus says, well, I know that you love me if you, what? Keep my commandments. So we know that keeping the commandments of Christ is essential to knowing if we're a Christian or not, knowing if we love him or not. How can you say you love me when you don't keep my commandments? Okay, so, uh, verse 2. Do not be conformed. And the English word con uh, is with. And so, don't be, don't be partners with. Don't be formed by or with the things of this world. But be transformed. That word transformed uh, means to be changed even at a DNA level. It means to, to have a, such a significant, not just... 
Not just better, but different. Uh, not, not where you are sweeping something, but whole new house. Uh, this, is, this is different. Transformed by the renewal of your what? Mind. This is so important. Because what, here's what Paul is saying in this, if you break it, if you break it down to a, a microscopic level. The proof is how I beseech you to present your bodies. That word present means to like stand at arms or, or to, be, to be ready, call to action. So what he, like a soldier would be, you know, when they, when they stand to attention. So, uh, so I beseech you, but God wants you to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. Well, and, and the only reason that you could do that is because you are alive spiritually. You're, you're, you need to inform your body of what's going on spiritually. And, and spiritual worship doesn't mean what we do on a Sunday morning. It's not singing songs and it's not lifting hands and it's not you know, songs on the radio and all that. Spiritual worship is that spiritually I am revealing the life, the worth of Jesus Christ in every moment of every day. That's, that's what's reasonable about the spiritual worship because that is the reality of what's going on spiritually. I am revealing the worth of Jesus. And how does that happen? Well, the goal of that is living sacrifices. But there's no mechanism except, Paul tells us the secret, the transformation of your mind. The transformation of your mind. So do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. That, this, in other words, all of Romans chapter 12 up to this point is for this. That, by testing, you may discern. Now in Greek, that's all one word. By testing, you may discern. What he is saying is, what's the, the, the uh, glass that like a jeweler wears in his eye? Anybody? This is really funny. In first service, I had about 30 people say something. I don't know what they said, but... They're smarter than you guys uh, when it comes to diamonds and stuff, I think. I don't know. But I don't know what it's called. But it, uh, no, it's not a monocle. That's not a monocle. That's what, uh, and that's what other people wear. It's, uh, it's, uh, anyway, so but you, you, they, they put that on their eye and they look at that thing. Somebody's Googling it right now. I know it. I can tell. <clears throat> Let me catch my breath a second. So they put this thing over their eyes because they want to be able to tell the difference between what is real and what is fake. That's right. Is this the real thing or does this just look like the real thing? So what Paul is saying is if your mind is not transformed, you're not going to be able to tell God's will. It's going to sound like God's will. It might even look like God's will. But you're not going to be able to discern and by the way, discerning comes from a series and seasons of testing. Time and time and time again. So over the course of your life, as you are spending time being transformed by the renewing of your mind, your mind is then informing your flesh, which is less and less of you and more and more of the life of Christ coming because it's burning all the impurities off and leaving room for the purities of Christ. So your holiness reveals the holiness of Christ, not a better version of you. So that's why when you do your good works in the flesh, they may see your good works and tell you what a great person you are. No, 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 no. That they may see your good works and glorify your Father. Because they can see your Father in your good works. Because it's as a product of a renewed mind. Which you can only have a renewed mind when you're living in the Spirit. So, that by testing you may discern, scrutinize, be able to detect genuineness. What is the will of God? That's what we want, right? As Christians, we want to be able to know for sure that this is the will of God. I don't know if it's the will of God. Seems like it might be the will of God. And so we ask ourselves a series of questions. What's it going to cost to my reputation? What's it going to cost to my comfort? And if all of those boxes check, then it's, okay, I'll do it. It really costs me nothing. Okay, I'll do it. 
Who does God want me to marry? What does God want me? Where does God want me to go to school? What kind of degree does God want me to get? Does he want me to get that house or that house? Does he want me to get that car or that car? Does he want me to invest in this or that? Does he want me to talk to that person or this person? Does he want me to take that promotion or not? Or does he want me to move or not? There's all sorts of things in Scripture that we don't know, right? It doesn't tell us that's what we want. God, tell me what to do and I'll do it. Well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to... Be obedient to the things that have already been revealed to you. And if you'll be obedient to the preceptive will, to the commandments of God, if you will walk in harmony with that, then when those things that are personal will come upon you and you don't know which way to go, the mind of Christ has already been forming in you. And you'll be able to know with certainty what God's perfect, acceptable, and holy will is. But if you've not been doing your homework, you're probably going to say, give me a sign, Lord. Don't forget, Jesus said, it's a perverse generation that asks for a sign. Don't you dare live your Christian life asking for signs. Not when you can know God's will. You, you want to know God's will out there. What is God's big will for me? What's my stage going to look like, Lord? And he says, no, no, that's not really for you to know. That comes as a byproduct of step after step after step after step. It's, it, it really is, it really is, then that's, that happens over here in the flesh. Every day, making myself a living sacrifice. Less of me, more of Jesus. Less of me, more of Jesus. You cannot do that apart from the Spirit. It's not possible. There's no mechanism. And the Spirit informs the mind and transforms it so that I can start thinking differently. My attitudes change. My thoughts change. My emotions change. My loves change. My, my vocabulary changes. The things that I desire changes. These things are at a molecular level. It's DNA change here. When that happens, there's less of me to wrestle with over here. The point of Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, is for every believer to live lives of spiritual worship. That at the spiritual level, you'll be experiencing more and more of the value of Jesus Christ and revealing that. So how do we do that? How can we live those spiritual, the spiritual reality? How can we live that through every part of who we are? He tells us the transformation of our mind. Listen, you want to know God's will. You want to know God's ways. God's mysterious. And God, I want to know your mysteries. Now, you know, those are secret. When he's ready to reveal those, you can't miss them. Everybody says all the time, boy, I'm just afraid I'm going to miss God's will. Well, you really can't. You can't. God doesn't. He is the master communicator. In fact, we communicate because he told us to. Because he, he showed us how. He gave us the ability to communicate. He gave us the ability to write, to grunt, to speak. He gave us all of that. We didn't come up with that. He, he's the perfect communicator. right? So if you think that the perfect communicator is going to communicate and you are going to miss it, you're missing it. <laughs> he, he's not mistakable. But I want you to understand that. When God breaks in to revealing those things, those are miraculous. God speaks not in the, wow. God speaks in the, what's God's will for my moment? Listen, don't think for a second that you're going to be committed to, the, to God's will for your life if you can't be committed to God's will for your moment. Moment after moment. After moment, after moment. And it's about learning. It's about growing. It's about straining. It's about pain. It's about struggle. It's about learning to trust Him. It's about learning His faithfulness. It's about all sorts of various trials. And as we process a life of that, when you're at the crux of needing to make a decision and you say, what is your will, Lord? The mind of Christ has already been in you. And you'll know which way to go. Because you're looking to honor him, not be comfortable. 
Because remember, there's less of you that's desiring comfort and more of his glory coming out of you. The question isn't, I think, can you, can you be, don't answer this out loud. Can you be a Christian that lives in the flesh? Don't answer that. I think maybe. I think maybe you can. I think, I think, that, you, I think that you can say, listen, I just, I, I really just, I know that Jesus is. I'm sorry for all the sin that I've committed, but I really just want to go to heaven and I'll go to church some and, you know, I'll do some of the things that get people off my back. I think you, I think you, I'm nervous about saying that. But I want you to recognize that if, if your heart is the bare minimum, I want you to know that it grieves the Holy Spirit. Because that's not why He's in you. I want you to know how insulting that that is to the cross of Jesus Christ. And how insulting that that is to the tomb. To be satisfied living your Christianity in the flesh when the Spirit is willing. Here's a, here's a verse. I want you to write it down. I want you to study it. In fact, I would encourage you to memorize it. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. <clears throat> for those of you who haven't been in church for uh, long, uh, in the Old Testament, uh, the, there, there were... Uh, feast days during certain fe- I'm going to give you the real small version of this during some of the feast days uh, th- there were requirements uh, that every Jewish home would go through their kitchen and get rid of all of the leaven out of the house and so the leaven was the part of the bread that caused the dough to rise uh, to puff up and in the Old Testament, the Lord used leaven as an illustration of pride and arrogance, of, of self-service. And, and so because the leaven causes the dough to rise, uh, pride causes the heart to rise and, and be boastful and arrogant and proud. And so at certain celebrations, the Lord told Israel to get rid of all the leaven out of their house as an illustration of purging their selfishness out. And so that's kind of the context here. That's one of the reasons why when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, uh, we eat unleavened bread uh, because that's what the requirement was for the Feast of the Passover, which is what the disciples and Jesus were honoring the night of his arrest. So I say all of that, give you the background for this verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. So he's not saying that the leaven should be reduced in you. He's looking for a new lump. This is very similar to the verse that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. So we're not looking for less leaven. We're looking for no leaven, right? But listen to this again. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. I love this. As you really are. You've got to understand this, Christian, that there is, there is nothing holding you back from the spiritual reality that is already at work in you. Paul even says the power of His resurrection already exists in you. Every gift that the Holy Spirit has for all of us is already inside of you. And I don't think we understand that. I think we keep waiting for something to happen. It's already in you. Paul said, stop acting like you're living in the flesh. Get rid of that entirely and put on this. You're already this. Learn to live in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy God? Why are you keep living like mere men? There's nothing left for God to give you. It's already yours. But you know what? We're just going to walk around and be bashful and ashamed. And I don't really know. I don't feel comfortable with that. I don't know about that. I don't really know. I'm, I don't know. If, are you a Christian? I don't know if I'm. I hope I'm good enough. I, oh, 
This is why it grieves the Holy Spirit so much is He is inside of you. He is inside of you reaching His hand toward heaven to reveal Christ in all of His glory. I'm going to give you two other verses. Titus chapter 3 verse 5. It says, He saves us not because of works done by us in righteousness but according to His own mercy. Your good works aren't going to save you, but His mercy is what saves you. By the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Who does the renewing? The Holy Spirit. That's the same thing that Paul just told us in Romans chapter 12. That the Holy Spirit is the one who renews and transforms our mind. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 15. Do your best to present. It's the same word that Paul told the church at Rome. To present themselves. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed. Rightly handling the word of truth. So you're going to present yourself as one who can rightly handle the word of truth. That's exactly what Paul told the church at Rome in Romans chapter 12. Present your bodies a living sacrifice so that they could be less of you and more of Christ so that the world may see Jesus in you and not a better version of you that's here today and back with a vengeance tomorrow. And it all has to do with how you handle the word of truth. The renewing of your mind. Setting your mind on things above. Transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit in you. Listen, God, it is impossible to know God's will. The parts that can be known. Even the revealed parts. That's one of the reasons why you can go, you can find unbelievers who can quote scripture, but their minds haven't been renewed. They're powerless. People who think they know all the answers. This book isn't about facts. It's not even about stories. It's about learning the heart, the nature, and the character of Jesus Christ. That's what this book is. If you're reading scripture so you can check boxes, you're missing it. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do it. I'm saying that the goal is not information. The goal is application. It's through applying the Word of God to my everyday life. And as I run the gauntlet of life, and it's bouncing me all over the place, but I'm staying saturated in the Word of God and I'm learning how to twist and how to turn. When I get to the end and I've got to make a decision, I'm going to be able to know what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God is. I'm going to know which direction to step in because my mind is being transformed to look more like the Spirit than it does the flesh. And my mind is what's informing my body. You cannot, there is no mechanism to know God's will apart from a renewed mind. Now listen, this is very important. And this is just the introduction. Uh, we're going to get very, very, it's going, a lot of it's going to make a lot more sense later, okay? So I'm going to say, well, let's just leave it there. A lot more, it's going to be much more practical than, than, than today has been. I appreciate your patience. There is no mechanism to know God's will apart from God's revealed word. You, you can't know what God's will is for your personal life apart from his word. Can you imagine being at a crux of a decision and saying Lord what do you want me to do now I know you can imagine it that's where most of us live but it's because up to that moment we've been living our faith in the flesh making decisions about what feels right in the moment you know every time the Old Testament the, the Israelites did that often they did what was right in their own eyes. Did they know they were being disobedient? No. They just didn't have the mechanism to know God's will. When you don't know God's will, you always make the decision based upon what's best in your own eyes. Apart from God's word, you're going to mess up God's will. And God's such a gentleman, he's going to let you. Because he ain't going to twist your arm to be obedient. 
That's on you. This God's will is all on him. This God's will, he's given you all the tools. But whether you obey it or not, that's all on you. It's by his mercies that we even know it. If you look at verse 1, very quickly, present your body to living sacrifice. This is your actions. If you look at that verse and it's not happening in your life, it's because verse 2 isn't happening in your life. And if verse 2 isn't happening in your life, the rest of chapter 12 is not going to happen in your life. Which is the grace gifts. It's the practical handbook for how we are to live and to love to live in community with each other, how we are to reflect His glory to those around us. Chapter, if verse 1 is not happening, verse 2 isn't happening. If verse 2 isn't happening, we're just meeting together. The question is, is God willing? Because He is. He's revealed it. They don't say you'll do what God wants for you personally if you're not doing what God has already revealed. The question is, do you, want, do you want to do what God has already revealed? Until you make a commitment to do what He's already revealed, you have no tools to do what is personal for your life. Now, last thing, shifting gears. I remember in college, a teacher would pray before test one specific teacher and he would pray, Lord, let these kids remember according to their study. I want supernatural knowledge, Lord. So that you, testing, you may discern. In this test, this daily test, we're not all at the same place, right? We're not all the same level of maturity. There's some of you that are far more mature spiritually than I am, and, and there's some of you who are just getting started. We're, we're not all at the same place, but we can all say yes to the same thing and learn to cooperate with each other and love each other, right? So with this kind of testing, wherever you are on the map, you may say, man, I've been a Christian a long time, and I've not really ever been, you know, obedient to God's will. Uh, I mean, I was saved, but Christianity is about obedience. It's about a lifestyle, not a decision. And, uh, but these tests that God gives us every day where we have to make decisions, don't take me out of context on this, but He lets us cheat. My teachers at college wouldn't let me do that. God lets us cheat. Which means that if I'm not prepared for the test at hand, I can look at my brother and sister and say, hey, what'd you get for this question? What'd you get for this issue in your life? What did God say to you in this time? And we can learn from one another and grow together, process together. Now that doesn't mean that people are going to do your homework for you. Because once you say yes to God's will, now you're saying yes to God's will personally. But while we're learning, we can learn from one another and learn God's will, God's character, and God's nature together. Because I'm convinced that's why God put us in family together and we're better together. So take advantage of God's word. Take advantage of time with him, meditating uh, with him, him, allow him to speak back to you through his word. Don't just pray. Let him speak to you as well. Create relationships with brothers and sisters so that when you're at a point you've never been at before, you can roll into them and say, hey, I need, what's, what do you think about this? So many times we live so isolated that when we don't want anybody to know our problems because we don't have those trustworthy relationships to lean in. Don't wait till you're in those moments to be desperate for them. Let's pray together. Lord, I just pray that as we continue to to grow more deeply, I pray that you would help us to uh, 
to learn to trust one another, to learn to love one another, to learn to depend on one another, to learn to live our faith out um, day by day, moment by moment, instead of waiting for a big call. Thank you, Lord, for your mercies. It's by your mercies we're not already consumed. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be willing. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Will you stand with me, please? I want to. If you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, and, and you're just looking for you're looking for something that would make your life make more sense or better, or some situation in your life you want to be resolved. I just I want you to hear me with as much grace and tact as I know. You can't make decisions from the, for the flesh or for the benefit of the flesh apart from being alive spiritually. There's you'll only mess it up. The flesh doesn't know what the spirit needs. You have to you have to give your life to Jesus Christ first for your spirit to be alive, to inform the rest of you who you really are. Put off the old leaven. Become a whole new lump because do not know that you are already that. If you're here today and you already know where you are spiritually, I don't, I don't know. You know if you're in a right relationship with the Lord, if you are learning to discern, if you're walking in obedience, you know you know those things. Or maybe you're just living moment by moment on what's comfortable, what's easy, what makes sense to the flesh. That's conformed to the world, by the way. In God's revealed will, He told us not to do that. You can, and you'll pay the consequences you don't have to. So let's make a decision today that we're going to be willing, that God would make us willing to be obedient to his moment-by-moment decision and follow his will that way. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.